just, uh, I think I'm going to pray for fathers again. I know Darren did, but um, yeah, let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of fathers, Lord, and thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. And thank you for guiding us and leading us through your spirit, Lord, by your son's sacrifice and for your love for us, Lord. And Lord, thank you for all the men and sometimes women who fill that gap um, to to be fathers. Be with those who um, desire to be a father, who are not yet a father, or who may not be a father. Um, Encourage those to be spiritual fathers, Lord. And um, for those who are fathers and grandfathers and uncles and various roles, will you empower us to do well for your glory. And all that we do, will you help us point the our, our kids, students, those that we influence to you and not to us. So Lord, we thank you for this day, and uh, we just love you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to continue on in our series, The Good, Bad, and Ugly, as we continue to look um, at various uh, people uh, in Hebrews 11 and why they are in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the hall of faith, the good, the bad, the ugly. And um, this morning we are going to read about Jacob. So if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, please do so. Turn to Hebrews 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 and verse 21. And then we're going to read Genesis 48, 1 through 13. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, verse 21, and then the end of Jacob's life. In Genesis 48. So Hebrews 11 verse 1 reads, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earn a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. In verse 21, It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, And bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. And then turn to Genesis 48, please. Genesis 48, starting at verse 1, reads, One day, not long after this, word came to Joseph, Your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to visit his father, and he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Joseph arrived, Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to see you. So Jacob gathered his strength and sat up in his bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations and I will give this land of Canaan to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now I'm claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim, and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. But any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit land within the territories of their brothers Ephraim and Manasseh. Long ago I was returning from Pan Aram. Rachel died in the land of Cana. We were still on the way, some distance from Ithra, that is Bethlehem. So with great sorrow I buried her there beside the road of Ithra. Then Jacob looked up over at the two boys. Are these your sons, he asked. Yes, Joseph told him. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so I can bless them. Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him and Jacob kissed and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again. 
but now God has let me see your children too. Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim towards Jacob's left hand and with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. A brief prayer again. God, thank you for your word and thank you for your Holy Spirit that illuminates the scripture for our understanding, Lord. We just thank you that we do have your word and we just pray that um, as you speak to us, that you prepare our hearts to receive your word. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. And we'll be careful to give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So out of all the adventures in the life of Jacob, if you're aware of Jacob's life, the reason he is in Hebrews 11 appears to be such an obscure, weird story. And we just read half of it. We'll finish it here this morning. But as we enter into this section of Hebrews 11, where the stories perhaps are familiar, the characters are familiar, but what stands out as to why they are included in Hebrews 11 probably is not the famous story that we remember as kids, at least not for me. When, when we talk about Abraham, we would expect that Abraham is in the hall of faith, if you will. He's in Hebrews 11 because of his sacrifice or almost sacrificing his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac. And as we have walked through, we've, we've seen various um, people. And now we are seeing Jacob. And I don't know about you, but whenever I, I see Jacob, the first story that comes to mind, since I did grow up in church and Sunday school, the first story, and probably one of my favorite stories, is when he wrestled with God. And then if you remember, we'll read it here a little bit later. God, or the, the angel of God, touches his hip, and he walks with a limp and a staff for the rest of his life. That's a story. I even told the worship team this morning and my wife, if you saw me walking across the street, you saw me limping. It's because I played hockey yesterday and then I sat funny. So then my whole leg went to sleep. And then to which I remember, oh, Jacob has nothing to do with it. I'm not that weird, but it was a great, <clears throat> great reminder of what, what just temporary, just trying to walk across the street, just walking with a limp. And what we see here is roughly Jacob walks with a limp 95 years of his life, roughly 95 years of his life. But again, if I'm considering a story, just me, um, Hebrews 11, uh, why is he considered faithful? I would think he wrestled with God. Who else wrestled with God? But that's not why he's in the story of Hebrews 11. As we've been going through the good, the bad, and the ugly, I could summarize Jacob's life as a whole lot of ugly and a smidgen of good. And that's what we see here at the end of his life. We see why he's included. And again, for me, instantly I go and think about him wrestling with God all night. And, or perhaps even the second one comes to me is when he's having the vision of the angels running up and down the ladder, which is a wonderful story, a prophetic story. Um, and then moving on, and I think about what happened to him with, with his sons, what happened to him whenever he tried to marry one sister, ends up marrying both sisters. That's weird. Um, but his story, and the reason why he is included in the hall of faith, is because of his faith at the end of his life. And, and really what I see here is, if, if I could sum it up, 
is, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of his life, he worships God. And from that worship, he's able to give a blessing. That's really the heart of it. This man lived a very hard life. There's even a conversation he has with the Pharaoh when the Pharaoh says, where have you been? Tell me your life story. He said, I lived 140 something years and it's been hard. And it's been hard because he's been such a deceiver. But if you consider, I, I was going back through the people that we've talked about so far, and I'll just tell you their names. And then after that, I'll give you just one word association, if you will, of why they would be considered in the hall of faith. So those names that we've covered so far is Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and now Jacob. And, and the one word for each one, or the phrase with the one word is able, because faith brings everything to God. And for Enoch, the word, or that phrase would be faith walks with God. And Noah, faith fears God. Abraham, faith obeys God. Sarah, faith receives from God. Isaac, that was last week, faith submits to God. And if you weren't here, you can go back and listen, but if you know the story, you probably can put those together. But for Jacob here, faith worships God. Faith worships God. So the big themes here, at least that I wrote down, and the two main focuses that I do want to spend some time on is the big theme is past mistakes or past sins do not have to define the last chapter of your life. Past mistakes or past sins do not have to define your last chapter of your life. I meet quite a few people who, um, as they are preparing to die, preparing to see the Lord if they accepted Christ as their Savior, and even if for those who do not, there you could tell um, one of the things that people mention is all the good that God has done, and then perhaps if they have some time to share, some of their regrets. And I probably don't have to twist your arm. If you have a pulse and are breathing, you have regrets. I know that I do. And uh, I know I say this a few times, but you know, there are those times in the middle of the night where I wake up and think, did I really, that was stupid. I just wake, that was, why would I, you know those things when you think about it? If you're a sound sleeper, maybe it's in the middle of the day when you're driving, I don't know. But for me, I wake up, and the one thing that I keep continually going back to whenever I, I, I do that, it, at, at some point God says, it's interesting that you always view it from your own lens. Man, that was so dumb. Why did I ever, instead of, man, that was a sin against God. But yet, these past mistakes, as we see, and this is really like a huge theme in Hebrews 11, the good, the bad, the ugly, Jacob did a lot of awful things, and yet at the very end of his life, he worshiped the Lord, and he's considered faithful. And that's what it's about. It's not about our performance. Yes, we should strive to, towards holiness, strive walking hand in hand, but if we're honest, we we've, we've just blew it. And yet, from that... It does not have to be the last chapter of our life. God is the last chapter of our life. So from that, from that, um, again, with Jacob, faith worships God. And then I added, if we worship God, then we are able to bless others. And that's what we see 
see for Jacob. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning is this Hebrews is, you notice if you go back to Hebrews 11, the reason why he's in the hall of faith, if you will, in verse 21, it says again, it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Do you see that? He worshiped and he was able to bless. And that's why he was able to be considered faithful. See, when I was going through this, I was looking through, God appeared to Abraham seven times and revealed something new or, or affirming or confirming. And we spent a lot of time talking about the covenant. And when he did, we read, and Abraham believed or Abraham followed the Lord or some variation of that. On the other hand, God appears to Jacob five times, and every time God appeared to him, it was to correct him. It was to cause him some change in life. And, and Jacob has been a wanderer for most of his life, but as his life is nearing its end, he is now settled down in his faith, just like his father, Isaac. And as I said, it's, it's amazing that Jacob ends up in this faith chapter, but that's really what the good news is for the rest of us, because even though we too have messed up so bad again and again, we can finish our race as a faithful hero. Now, I don't know when your time is, and many of you have many, many decades to go, but yet from this moment on, you can still be obedient and not wait to the end. But... Just a couple of notes. Let's just move through his story real quick. We're going to cover like 10 chapters here. Um, but just to highlight his life, just so that way we can be reminded of the man that Jacob was. But just real quick, a couple of notes before we jump into that. What I find interesting too is this is not a story of the bloodline in which Jesus will be born into. See, the bloodline goes through Judah, not through Joseph. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but you know, the Lion of Judah. It is Judah, which is Joseph's older brother. It's, it's his descendants that we end up having Jesus come. Here, in all reality, what we see is Joseph has two sons, perhaps more, but these two sons, they end up being tribes, in Israel, they end up being Jewish tribes, but that's it. That's, that's the end of it. They are considered a blessing. It is a blessing to be from those two tribes. But the bloodline in which Jesus comes is not through his. So what Jacob is doing is blessing just, if you will, a son that he lost, grandsons he didn't even know, and they're actually half Egyptian. You remember the story. I won't jump too far ahead because Joseph is included into the Hall of Fame, and I do want to have some, something to tell you next time. But, but his, his sons are half Egyptian because Joseph marries an Egyptian woman. Again, they're not considered Israelites fully through and through, but anytime there's a cross between different backgrounds of people, that was a no-no to the Israelites. So he is blessing essentially someone that he thought he lost to, to children he wouldn't have approved of otherwise. And he lived this life that was always on the run. So the story that we picked up last week, the way 
that we left off is he stole Esau's birthright. Well, first Esau sold it to him for a bowl of soup. <laughs> That's good. And then uh, he, he tricked his father, and, and then I put my foot in my mouth and called everybody 70 and older, specifically Mark, old. So <clears throat> that's not old. 130-something is old. There, I've, I've corrected it. But if you, if you see, this, his life doesn't take place until he's 77 years old. He's 77 years young, and he runs away from Esau because Esau is a skilled warrior, once he steals this blessing, and then once Esau receives this blessing, his own blessing, which is kind of a cursed blessing, he runs. Jacob runs, and he hides from his brother, and then they are reconciled later on. But he is always on the run. And that's one thing about if, if you're a deceiver and a liar, you will always be on the run. Because one lie will have to cover another lie, has to cover another lie, if you deceive, then you will deceive, and then you will deceive. It will catch up to you. All sins will be caught. But he is on the run. And then what takes place is, as he's on the run, he ends up at his uncle's place, Laban, and he falls in love but has to work for the love of his life. And what you'll see is that God uses the sin of others and even the sin of his to get his attention. Jacob's whole life is a deceiver, and what God does is he uses the, the way that he is deceived to finally get his attention. So uh, if we, we're going to pick up in the middle of the story just for the sake of time, but he ends up at his uncle's house. He falls in love, and he promises to work seven years for the love of his life, and now finally the day has come in Genesis 29 Verse 25 through 27, it'll be on the screen. So he gets married, and he thinks that he's marrying the love of his life, Rachel, and this is what happens, verse 25. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What? What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? And then he says, it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. So you may be asking yourself this question, because at least I did. Uh, time out. How did he not see his wife? Were the lights out? <laughs> I'll leave it there. But... How did this happen? So the custom at this time is you, the, the, bra, uh, the groom, would never actually see your wife through the whole ceremony. She was under a veil, and that's why in our tradition, well, it, it's halfway tradition. Not everyone wears a, not every wife-to-be wears a veil anymore, but that was the whole thing, to be presented as a gift. But she wore a veil that would not be seen, and the custom was that it was a long process. And then, and then the father, at the end of the night, would present the, his wife in the dark, and then they would sleep together, and then you'd wake up in the morning, and then, who are you? <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. And that's exactly what happened. And the reason why is because the oldest was never allowed to be married until the youngest. That's why Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew came about. It's this whole thought of 
the, it is the father's responsibility to marry off the oldest and work his way down because he doesn't want to have to have the responsibility forever of his daughters. He already has to provide the land and break it up with his sons. So he was tricked. And, and, do, you, and do you notice, going back to Genesis 29, that story, uh, he, he's upset and he asked the question, why have you tricked me? Well, that's what you've done your whole life, Jacob. You, you, you have tricked everyone your whole life, and now you're upset. Narcissism 101, now you're upset. But here's the thing. He was so in love with Rachel that after the, the week, the bridal week was over, he did marry Rachel, but he had to stay and work for another seven years. So a, a commentary that I, I read said significantly Laban's deception towards Jacob was similar to the deception Jacob put upon his father, even word for word. This is an example of Jacob reaping what he had sown. Jacob had exchanged the younger for the older. Laban had exchanged the older for the younger. And then when Jacob deceived his father and cheated his brother, God did not change his plan to choose Jacob to receive the birthright. Instead, God took Jacob to the school of difficult experience to discipline him. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness to discipline us. That just shows that our disobedience may never, ever derail God's plan. Yet, as we choose, as we've make decisions, God will use it. And then uh, Guzik said, another commentary said, one might spend 20 years working for someone like Laban while God is teaching a few things. So it's this process of humility. And though we can see that this was not God's plan to sin, but it was just, and he's not justifying the sin of Laban's deception, but it's a fact that God does work all things together for the good and never excuses the evil, but it doesn't throw off his plan. And which is interesting because you would think, well, what is exactly this plan? It just seems like a dad who's just trying to get rid of his oldest daughter to get rid of his youngest daughter and move on. But really, if you think about it, if you remember that I had mentioned that the line of Judah is where Christ comes... The, the son Judah actually comes from Leah, not Rachel. So God used that. God knew what he was doing. He used that. But yet, as we see, Jacob was deceived. So then we'll fast forward a little bit. He finally works off another seven years. He finally is able to leave and enter Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestles with God. So Genesis 32, verse 22 through 32, I'll read that story, that account, and just highlight a couple of things. Genesis 32, verse 22 and 32. I think it will be on the screen here. It says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jobbik River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip, and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. He said, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named that place Penel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Penel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Now, that's a wild story. That's a true story. And, and it, what you'll see is just a couple of the highlights. He's finally leaving, he being Jacob. He's finally leaving. He's getting all of his, his wives, his sons, everyone. They are moving across. And it was just the normal way that he would cross with his servants, make sure it was okay to cross, come back, bring everything over, come back, and then bring his possession. And then he, it, it's a way to bless what you're leaving Thank God for what you're leaving on to the next thing. That's why he's there by himself. So as he's there, then he wrestles the uh, angel of the Lord. It says this man, depending on the commentary or the translation, the angel of the Lord, the Lord, but he was wrestling all night long. And then the man, the angel said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now this is what is used traditionally this thought, this theme is when you wrestle with God, God always wins, but he's patient to let you work through things, work out things for your good. Because obviously, if this guy touched Jacob's hip, if this angel of the Lord touched Jacob's hip, he wanted him to know at any time this could have been over. And that's really what the Lord does. At any time, I can take you home. But God is so gracious and so loving and caring, he will allow you to wrestle through what you're going through. I know I say this many times. All of the questions that you have for the Lord, whenever you get angry with him, even if you don't admit it, when you're upset with him, God is a big God and he can handle that. Wrestle with him. Ask him why. He is faithful to walk through it. The problem becomes is whenever you throw up your hands and say, I give up. Because essentially what you're doing is you're not doing what Jacob did. In the middle of the night wrestling, you just stop and say, I don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to believe. It's not that I don't want to believe or I do want to believe. I just don't, I don't want to deal with it. I want to retreat. It's better to not do anything to, than to wrestle, which is the opposite of what we should do. So this just shows again that, see, Jacob still hasn't learned his lesson yet. He's still not a great man. He's still wrestling through. And then that's whenever his name is changed. He said, what is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him, from now on you will be called Israel because you have fought God with me and have won. And Israel means fighter of God and man victorious it's it's a it's a word play but one thing i want to go and point back to hebrews 11 verse 21 it was by faith that israel that's not what it says it says it was by faith that jacob when he was old and dying and if you if we 
had more time, we'd go back and see that he doesn't call, the author of Hebrews doesn't call Abraham, Abram, Sarah, Sarai. He calls them the name that God has given him. So why? And the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) The reason why is because you will see that Jacob is more Jacob than Israel his whole life. He's not Israel until the very end of his life. That's why they're called Israelites. That's why we go to Israel. We do not go to Jacob or Jacobites, although there are Jacobites. But, but the reason why is because they're interchangeable because we're seeing a man that continually wrestles with God. See, it's the circular. The Bible's pretty neat. It always refers back to itself and tells its story in, in unison. And that's what it's doing. He changed his name, this angel of the Lord, this man, however you want to describe it, to Israel to a man who wrestled with God, who would continue to wrestle with God his whole life. So there's this nature. And that's why Hebrews 11 is letting us know the man or woman who wrestles with God, who believes in Christ, who still is wrestling, still can be faithful. That should give everybody hope. And that's what it is. So then he changes his name. The Jewish people still do not eat the tendon of the hip or any of the hip, just in respect to what took place. So he's now blessed. And the blessing, there's various forms. It's, it's a blessing of re- affirming what God's promises through Abraham, that you'll have many descendants. And now one thing now, if we go back to Hebrews 11 again, and I'll read it correctly this time, verse 21. It is by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. That staff plays a very significant role in his life. The staff is not only because he is older, it's also a symbol of his God-given authority as the patriarch of the family at the time, but it's also there to remind him when God broke him to use him. He carries that staff, and every day that would remind him of the encounter with God and his dependence on something other than himself. Do you remember the last time that you had an encounter with Christ where it just totally broke you? Maybe not physically, but you were at a place where the only thing that would get your attention was fill in the blank. He carried that symbol around with him his entire life, and it is so significant in his life that at the end, when he is included in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith, he is leaning on his staff. Or in other words, since that staff recognized that Christ broke him, it would read, it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed and worship as he leaned on the Lord. That's incredible. That's where we all should be. A lot of times when we face these storms and difficulties and hardships, they're always meant to recorrect our course. Even if someone does something to us, fill in the blank. It's, it's always for our benefit. It's, it is always for our benefit. Now, don't get me wrong. When it happens, you just hate it and you want it to go away and you pray for it to go away. And then you try to be faithful and say, well, if you can't get me out of here, will you walk along with me? And he's faithful to do that. But this is a reminder that he needs to always cling to the Lord. It's just that daily reminder of God's promises and his life of faith, which best symbolizes 
his staff. Which later on, we talked about this when we did our series in Psalm 23, the staff was a significant part of a shepherd. He is now becoming the shepherd that he was always meant to be. He never had to deceive his father. The blessing was always going to come to him. He was trying to help God help him, which is a dangerous place to be. He is now dependent on what was supposed to be his already. So now he's much older. I'm going to fast forward a couple of chapters just to get here. He's much older. He has all of his children. Um, his favorite wife gives him two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. He gives Joseph the fancy coat, which is the promise of a future blessing. All of his older brothers are jealous. You probably remember the story. They throw him into a ditch. They end up selling him off. He's being deceived yet again. He's still with the staff. He's still walking. He's still older. Genesis 37, 31 and he is deceived again. It reads, the brothers killed a young goat, dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Does this robe belong to your son? And if you want to trace it back, the way that they describe his son is the same way that I had mentioned last week when Isaac was saying, is that you, my son, to Esau? meaning my beloved son. So essentially what they're saying is, look at what we found. Does this belong to the son that you actually love? Oh, he's deceived again. He lives the rest of his life through the next several chapters thinking that his son is dead, the son of his beloved. It is a long delay deception for a life that was a long life of deception. So he is now older, and if we would have read Genesis 47, Joseph does that whole scene where he finally reveals who he is. He is so overwhelmed, Jacob's so overwhelmed, he can't believe it, there he is, and the first thing he says is, I have seen you, now I should die. Like, I can die now. But here, here's the point. He's lived this life that is so bad, even a life where God has broken him physically and he's still not great, still making a lot of mistakes, still really being self-focused. And I would suggest he's being so self-focused because he has been so deceitful. You have to be self-focused to be that deceitful. So here, now, finally at his old age, which we read in Genesis 48... He's now at the end of his life. Joseph gets word that his father is dying. And then in verse 3 of Genesis 48, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Kena and blessed me. This is where he changed his name. This is where his hip was broken. He said, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply your descendants. I will make you a multitude of nations and I will give this land of Cana to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. He was promised, just like Abraham, just like Isaac, that you will have this land of Cana that will one day be yours, but you don't have it yet. And here's the part of worshiping the Lord and here's the part of believing. It goes back to Hebrews 11. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see they don't own the land yet. So here he's going to bless them, and this is how he blesses them. Verse 5, it says, Now I'm claiming you as my 
own son, uh, sorry, now I'm claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived, who are half-breeds is essentially what he's saying. They will be my sons, huge. Anytime someone adopts someone else's children as their own sons and daughters is a statement of love. Just as Reuben and Simeon, the older ones. But any children born to you in the future will be your own, and they will inherit the land with the territories of their brothers Ephraim and Manasseh. And then he says, Long ago I was returning from Panamaram, and Rachel died in the land of Cana. We, we were still on our way some distance from Ethra, that is Bethlehem. So with great sorrow I buried her hair there beside the road. So then Jacob looked over at his two boys. Are these your sons? Remember, he can't see very well. He asked, yes. Joseph told him, these are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. This is a promise that Joseph had long ago when he was through all the things that he went through, which we'll talk about here next time. And Jacob said, bring me them closer to me so I can bless them. Jacob was half blind because of his age and could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys closer to him and Jacob kissed and embraced them. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face, but now God has let me see your children too. He's recognizing that God had always had a plan for his life. Joseph moved the boys who were there at the grandfather's knees, and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob with his right hand, and he directed Ephraim towards Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh on Jacob's right hand. And then we'll pick up. This is what Jacob does. He crosses his hands. As he reached out, he lays his hands on the boy's heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Then Joseph, verse 15, bless, then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm may bless these boys. May they preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac. And may their descendants multiply greatly through the earth. We'll stop there just real quick. Perhaps a blessing in this way it doesn't, isn't, carries as much significance for us um, in this Western world as it does then. But I, in this way... Um, not to, to arise any emotions, but there are loved ones, I'm assuming, in your past that you remember the last words they said to you. And some were great. Some probably weren't so great. Some words that you probably wish that you would have said. Some w words that you're glad you would say. So this is that plus this is here's your will. I'm signing over everything over to you. So it's like these last final words, these parting words I'm giving to you as I give you all of my possession. And here it is. So this is the significant moment, especially in the Middle East. The father's responsibility before he died, if he could, was always to bless his children with something because that would be the identifier throughout their whole life. I remember when my dad blessed me with, I hold on to the promise that, and then you'll see why God blesses and we use that God has promised these things. That's the, that's the carryover. So he's, he blesses them into a multitude greatly through the earth. He's, he's blessing them land that they don't even have. 
And then verse 17, but Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh. No, my father, he said, this one is my firstborn. Put your hand on his head. Now imagine this. He's blind. He brings his son. The oldest is always at the right hand. That's why, you know, Christ is at the right hand of the father, right? And then the left hand. And then he knows, so he swaps it. And then Joseph's moving his hand. It's this whole fight. He's like, you're doing it again. That's had to be Joseph's thought. You're doing it again. You're such a deceiver. Or you're blind. Well, you are blind. But you're doing it again. And, and here's, a, here's a picture that, that I have from um, Rimram, Rim, however you say his name, the Dutch painter. Thank you. That guy. He had this ability to capture, I think there's nine paintings that, yeah, it's nine paintings that he did that all describe a journey in the Bible. The one, one of my favorite ones is the one at sea when Jesus is coming and calming the storm, but someone stole that in 1990. So if you find it, it's worth 10 million bucks. But anyways, but do you see this? Someone commissioned him, Rembrandt, there we go, commissioned him to paint his face and his wife's face and his boy's face. And he said, I can give you the greatest blessing by the, by the blessing that Jacob gave. So that is this photo. But the intimacy of what's going on, you can't see it so well because it's not a great picture, but his hands are actually crossed. So this is the scene. This is the final scene. So for me, this is the scene that got him into the hall of faith. He surrendered his life. Finally, a man who struggled, finally, and blessed in the order which God had always wanted the youngest to rule the older. And, and here's the thing. A lot of times Jacob wants to, what this is showing is that God can bless us by the way that he wants to, not by the way the world views a blessing. He's able to worship. And this word worship specifically means to verbally and physically recognize the thing or the person that has worth. And that is what Jacob is doing. He is blessing them with the land that he actually doesn't own yet, but God had promised him. And, if, and later, Joseph will say, don't put me in this land. Carry me in a box until we get our land. He starts off, this, this family starts off as 75 people and, and roughly 400, 400 years, 2.1 million people will be in the exodus from this moment moving forward. See, what we see here is that God has blessed me in this bad land, this bad circumstance, and he blessed me in a place I didn't want to be blessed, but yet he blessed me nonetheless. And how many generations after has been faithful for the promise of Christ to come? And that's what it is. The hope of the future, when we believe in this hope of the future, all about this Hebrews 11 chapter, this hope is when we know it to be true, when it's not simply a wish for better things to come, but a knowledge to know that it will be better and it will come and, this, and we position ourselves to receive that because we believe in God. And for us, we live post-Christ, this death and resurrection. So the, the question is, consider this, the, this, this thought. 
that do when you do not feel like giving up your time, because you see he's giving up his blessing. So for us, what do we give as a blessing? And, and we give up our money, our resources, our energy, our time, perhaps maybe even most difficult, our empathy. And any of the time that you do not feel like doing any of these things, you can ask yourself this question, Are you holding on to it tightly in this moment because you are afraid that if you give it up, you will live in a deficit or a loss? That's really why you don't, we don't, I don't give up of my time, money, resources, empathy, is because for me, my focus is I am losing by giving up. And that's what we saw this life of Jacob He was a deceiver from the get-go. Even though he had the promise to him, he deceived because he was not willing to let go because he thought the immediate was more important to the future. It is whenever you're holding on tightly into that moment that you're afraid you're going to lose. However, if you are in a place where you have hope for the future and eager expectation, then you are completely willing to bless others because a temporary loss will not take away your future hope. And you know that it will not prevent a future hope. Our future hope is in Christ. Jacob is able to bless his grandchildren, essentially adopting him as his grandchildren into a family, into his immediate family. He's able to bless them because he's not trying to hold on to the little bit of power that he has at the very end of his life. He is finally no longer being a deceiver. And I can't stress this enough. If you find yourself in a position where you don't feel like you can give, And this is, again, this is not a grab for money or time or anything. It's just energy spent. Empathy has been a big one, a big theme for me this week. I'm talking about even forgiveness. I'm talking about walking along someone in the throes of life. If you're not in a position to do that where you don't want to do it, I'm not saying you you can't physically actually meet a need. I'm talking about, you know those times where God says, hey, go do that, and you're like, well, let's, let me pray about it, God. Let me work through this, God. Let me, let me make sure that this is what you're saying. And for me, the way I picture God is like, I just told you. <laughs> but you know those times when you feel the Holy Spirit, he's, he's nudging you? Those times where you're saying no when you don't want to. It's because the focus is on the immediate and there's not that hope of the future You know, you're afraid to ask somebody how they are doing because you're afraid they'll want to get coffee later or go to lunch. Does that mean that one coffee will turn into much, much more? So how do we have hope for the future so we are able to bless other people? And it's the very key in Hebrews 11. He worshiped the Lord on the staff or he worshiped the Lord in him. He surrendered in him. So how do we have hope for the future and give a blessing to other people and be present in that blessing? Worship the Lord. Now that's the main faith that we see here. We see this. Even when Joseph's like, Dad, your your arms are crossed, you're doing it wrong. And really what we're seeing now is that, that the second born will be greater than the first born. And you're asking, why? Why does this mean? And how does this connect to the book of Hebrews and put Jacob in the faith hero chapter? 
We have seen this thing in scripture over and over again. Isaac, the secondborn, was greater than Ishmael. The firstborn, Jacob, the secondborn, was greater than Esau, the firstborn. Now Ephraim, is the secondborn, is going to be greater than Manasseh, the firstborn. And, and all this is leading to, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about, you see, the blessing of God is not found in the first Adam, but the second Adam from Romans, the second, the Jesus Christ. See, what Christ is doing is he's already showing that he's doing a new thing. That's why Isaiah says, look at this, I am doing a new thing. So that's why he crosses his hands. And he's able to do that not in a deceitful moment. Joseph later on probably realizes it. He's saying, I am following finally what the Lord has asked me to do. No deceit, no trickery. I am able to bless you and your children because I can worship the Lord. So just closing, just a couple of thoughts. Do you remember the first time or perhaps the last time you heard from God? Do you remember the last time you worshiped the Lord? Now, if you're thinking, I'm doing that right now, you're right. We had some songs, you're right. But I'm talking about when was the last time it was just you and the Lord and you worshiped him and you were thankful? Because don't get me wrong, it's, it's easy to get lost in the worship service like this. I love it. I'm a pastor. But I'm talking about when you just worship the Lord, just you and him. At least for me, whenever those intimate times where it's just me and the Lord, he, he encourages me, he blesses me, he corrects me, he makes me more dependent on him, and then I'm just able to be a blessing. And that's the whole hope of this one little verse in Hebrews 11. Don't wait to the last end of your life regardless of your past sins or mistakes or whatever, they do not define your last chapter. Right now, worship the Lord and be a blessing to others. And that's the whole reason why Jacob is in, this deceiver is in the good, the bad, the ugly, or as you know it, Hebrews 11. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the fact that um, you don't leave us uh, even when we're struggling, Lord, and Lord, let us um, have the hope in you where we can wrestle with you and wrestle through whatever difficulties we're going. And really, it's just to, just to seek you and see what it is that you, you want us to do, Lord. You want us to be faithful, Lord. And sometimes you won't answer our questions, Lord, but let us cling to you. Let us, uh, wherever we're at right now, let us uh, just come and worship you to be able to be a blessing to others, Lord. And the reason that we're a blessing to others is so that way they can come to know you, so that way they can see Christ in us and the way that we love, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for your word and thank you for um, people like Jacob that, that, that show us that even at the very end we can cry out to you. But Lord, it's not the end right now at this moment of our lives. Lord, let us not wait until the last moment. Let us do that now. Let us come to you. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that um, you're in control, Lord. Help us uh, be dependent on you. Let us, as Jacob leaned on his staff, let us lean on you completely. Lord, if there's areas in our life that need to be broken, will you break them because you're faithful? And although it's painful, Lord, it's, it's for our good. And for those of us who are coming out of pain or brokenness, Lord, let us hold on to that as our staff, that you never let us go. 
So Lord, we thank you and we worship you and we just pray that as we worship you to the next couple of songs that uh, you speak to us. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.